So today's reading is from Mark chapter 3, verses 22 through 30. Mark chapter 3, 22 through 30. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder the, his house. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiven it, but is guilty of an internal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. This is the word of the Lord. It's good to be back. Um, good to be back with our, our family. Um, a couple weeks ago, we were in Florida. It was 82 degrees. And then last week, we went to Boston, and it was 20 degrees. <laughs> it's good to be in California. <laughs> Not just because California is California, but more, better even um, to be with you. Um, we went to a really good church, actually, last week in, in New York. And just I, I'll say this before I get into the message. I, I visited this church uh, many, many years ago when it first started, right, when it first started. And um, actually, in its first few years, they went through something really, really hard. Um, they had two pastors, and um, then they, they really had a bad fight. <laughs> and they were fr these guys were friends, <laughs> and they had a really bad fight, and it turned into an ugly fight in the denominational level, and the church almost died right there. Isn't that crazy? So, um, so... There is spiritual warfare when you start a church. And um, the devil came after this church and almost killed this church right at the get-go. But um, other pastors from the nomination came in to help save this. It was, a, it, it, you know, it, it started as a small group, and then they grew. And then, of course, after this bad stuff happened, they almost died, right? And um, so this church ended up planting two other churches. All three churches are thriving, <laughs> And uh, when my wife and I visited this church, they were in a brand new building. It was a fantastic building. Um, and the worship in there was, was, was multi-ethnic and multi-generational. It was amazing. Um, so I just want to share that um, because uh, the Lord may do something like that with us. Okay? All right. With that, that beautiful good word, let's get into this passage. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, I've been so looking forward to preaching this passage, not. All right. um, this is one of the most terrifying passages in the whole Bible. I mean, um, people ask me, what is uh, one of the scariest parts of the whole Bible? Right here. We're looking at it. And if I had my way, we'd just kind of skip over this passage. Let's go to some other. But this is, um, you know, did you, catch, did you catch that part at the end there? There is a sin that does, is not forgiven. It's an eternal sin. That's what we're talking about today. What is that? 
Um, I don't know what exactly happened, but we didn't, the title of today's message um, didn't make it into your bulletin. It is uh, Becoming Irredeemable. That's the title. Becoming Irredeemable. That is actually a possibility in life. <laughs> that you can come to a place where you're committing sin that can't be forgiven. You understand what that means? Let's, okay, I'm, I'm, let's not be nice about this. Let's just put this out there so we're, we're, not, we're not messing around here. You're going to go to hell. And you cannot be saved. That's what we're talking about today. That there's a possibility of sin in your life that cannot be washed by Jesus. And you're going to go to hell and you can't be saved. That's not a fun topic, obviously. Um, okay, you guys getting scared? <laughs> um, I'm going to say this, but, and then let's get into the message. Um, if you're here, you probably have not committed this sin, <laughs> okay? Generally, people who commit this sin don't go to church. And if they go to church, they're not actually interested in what is being taught, right? And have actually some real open-mindedness about it. It's possible that someone who has that committed to sin could go to church and go to sin for wicked reasons and with such a horrible hardness of heart that, um, that they're lost. Um, so, but I want to just say this to you. So let's everybody just... Okay? <laughs> if you're here, you probably have not committed this sin. Okay? Um, difficult passage. Let's get into it. Part one. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It's very specific. That's the, that's the sin. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. What is it? So we'll talk about it. Part two. Um, present day paths to irredeemability. I think every generation and every place has a pathway to this. It is not one discrete sin like Oops, I did it. Okay, I'm going to go to hell. It's not like that, okay? It's like, oops, I did this sin, and now I'm, 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 I'm just toast. It's not like that. It's a pathway. You know, get there in one shot. You go down this path, and you end up here. <laughs> and um, you're lost. <laughs> so path, present-day paths to irredeemability. And part three, turning to the Redeemer through repentance. That's the pathway to life. Okay. Turning to the Redeemer through repentance. So um, let's, uh, let's get into the passage here. There's actually just effectively two portions in this passage. I'm obviously talking about the, the portions at, at the end here where Jesus says there's a sin that doesn't get forgiven. Um, that's... You know, if, if I waited a long time to explain to you that, you're like, can you get to that part, please, Pastor? <laughs> so we're not going to mess around. We're going to talk about it. But the, the previous portion, there is an accusation made against Jesus. And this is what gets us to that, that discussion, right? The accusation, um, this is the way it says, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. That's the accusation. So um, who's Beelzebul? Beelzebul, if you're not if you're uh, if you're if you're not familiar, it's just another name for the devil. 
I mean, they have multiple names. I mean, you've probably heard our culture, I don't know, our culture is moving away from Christianity, but when Christianity was a more dominant force in our society, people, knows, the people know there's multiple names. Uh, Satan, or the devil, we'll just call him the devil, or Lucifer, right? Um, you know, Mephistopheles, these are other names that our culture, or at least in, in Western culture, have named the devil. Well, there's, a, there's one that was common back then, and that's Beelzebul, and he is known as the prince of demons. It's just another name for the devil. And there are these, these uh, intellectuals, uh, they call scribes. Who are the scribes? Scribes are experts in the law, okay? Um, you don't, the, the scribes are the people who have the job of writing out the Bible. Remember, this is, this is pre-Gutenberg Press, right? long before this thing. And you don't just let anybody write the Bible because the Bible is the most precious thing in the world. <laughs> For the Jewish people, this is more precious than life. This is more precious than money. This is more precious than gold. Who gets to handle this? The scribes. The scribes are, they're the smartest. I mean, you don't get to be a scribe unless you went to the top, top, top school. You don't get to be a scribe unless you have fantastic handwriting. You don't get to be a scribe unless you know the theology inside out. So it's crazy. Who is making this accusation here? We're not talking about unsophisticated people. We're talking about educated people. And we're talking about people steeped in the Bible. There's something going on here when they meet and encounter this person, Jesus. So Jesus is becoming famous. Jesus is drawing lots of crowds. Jesus is healing the blind, making the deaf to hear. And, um, and they know there's people that have, uh, you know, I mean, we talked about this, so I won't get too much into that. So I'm not going to debate this in this message. But they have, uh, they have possession of, of, of demonic spirits. It's a common thing in this society. So, Jesus casts out demons. They can see this. This is not, so they're not debating that Jesus can do this. <laughs> right? They've literally seen this happen. So, they've seen the evidence. They've dealt with the evidence. This guy shows up. This person is, you know, like he's got all that stuff going on. And under the possession of a wicked spirit, and then this person is freed and becomes sane and and is soft and, you know, is, is freed. <laughs> and what they choose to do is to here they meet Jesus. What they don't want to deal with is, who, who is this Jesus? This, I want, one of the things I want you to understand is when you get into the Gospels, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's the name of the, the first four books of the New Testament that all deal with the ministry of Jesus. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a single question that's always at stake. This is the question. Who is this guy? Who is Jesus? That's the question. And, you know, in all these passages, you're being, you're being told and taught, you know, sometimes by his actions and sometimes by his words, who is Jesus? And you're encountering all kinds of other people. They're reacting to this person, Jesus, and, and what he does and what he claims. His words, his deeds, they're reacting to him. And all kinds of different reactions are happening. I mean, you, you, you know, they're famous. Um, the prostitutes love him. <laughs> right? Prostitutes love him. I mean, that's a strange thing. I mean, in our day, you don't see prostitutes running to uh, a, a religious holy man. <laughs> okay? He's a preacher. He's effectively a preacher. And yet, 
Prostitutes love him. Lepers love him. Gentiles who normally don't think much of Jewish religion, they're attracted to him. They're coming to him. And some people just come to him for the power because they, like, they want to see a miracle. Some people come to him because somehow, I mean, he, he gives food at times, right? Um, but there are um, the sophisticated, the educated folks, and they seem very, very resistant to deal with him on his claims. Let's just stop for a moment. Time out, okay? Let me ask you something. Who is the most resistant? Who is the most resistant to any new religious claims? Hmm? Just think about that. In any society, you go into a society, who is, there's, a, new, there's a, a religious claim, something, some connection to God. Who is the most resistant to that religious claim? It is whoever is at the top of that society. The most educated, the most righteous people in that society, regardless of whatever their religious, if it's Hindu society, it's, it's the Hindu top folks. If it's the Muslim, it'll be the Muslim top folks. Our society, um, it's now sort of, there's this kind of secular religion that's happening in our society, right? And they are the, there are people kind of at the top of our society. Well, guess what? They're also the ones that are the most, they tend to be the most resistant, right? That's what's happening in this, in, in this text. Now, they make a claim about Jesus. This is the claim. Really, the only reason he could do these kinds of things, you know, he casts out demons, it's because, well, you know, he has the power of the devil. That's what, that's, that's the claim. And um, now that I've kind of said this to you, and it says, so let me, let me, let me take, take you to the latter portion of the, of the passage. Verse 28. Let's go to verse 28. So, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. That part's awesome. <laughs> I hope, that you, I hope you love that verse, because it's a great verse. Now, here's the scary part. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is he guilty of an eternal sin? Here is the verse that's important, verse 30. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. And then you go back there, by, and then it goes back to that previous. He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons he casts out, demons. Jesus basically gives you two teachings here. Number one, um, what they're saying is completely illogical. <laughs> That's really what he's saying. How can a kingdom undermine its own power and then stand? So he's really just giving you a piece of common sense logic. And so, you know, anybody, if you ever meet a person that really wants to t tell you something and like there's like A and completely not A and they want you to believe A and not A, like that's, there's something seriously wrong. <laughs> Okay, and there's no rational basis to the Christianity is not irrational faith. Um, things cohere, things cohere in truth. Um, so one of the first things he's teaching is this, but it's not just truth claims. There, there's a kingdom. Now I don't know if you believe in demons or so forth, but there's a kingdom of evil. I mean, almost every religion in the world believes there is forces of evil, right? And there's forces of good. It's, a, it's only this kind of modern, secular religion where we don't believe that, which is weird, because in our society, when I look at the secular religion of our times, they believe that clearly there is an absolute morality. There absolutely is a clear absolute morality. That means there must be something that they deem so wicked and so evil that you, you're cast out of society. 
If you're not sure about that, just go out and start saying bad things about black people and uh, how, how you think that they're you know, like inferior or something like that. You will find out people who say they're relativists are not relativistic about that. <laughs> they absolutely believe there's something wicked and um, there is an absolute morality, even though they tell you they're relativistic, right? Because it's their religion. That's what's going on, right? But um, how can, because it, it's a kingdom. Truth, truth claims about right and wrong. I want to teach you something about this. This is really, really important. These religious people have these ideas. This is right, this is wrong. These religious people have these ideas. This is right, this is wrong. It's not, it's not just like that. If, if what they're saying is real, if what is real is there's a kingdom, there's a whole kingdom of that which is righteous and good. There are those who are bringing up that which is wicked and evil. You can't build a kingdom and undermine what you're trying to do. That's, that's the first point that Jesus is making. So I think one of the things that Jesus is saying is like something like this. If you just think for a moment... <laughs> and be rational, just use your mind, you will know what you're saying is a wicked lie. But these people insist that what is obviously good, and this is, the, this is what I'm going to get to, what is obviously good must be attributed to evil. Let me say that again. They insist. So you go there, you meet a person, and you, you, you see something, done. This person was, you know, I don't know, today maybe we call this person crazy. Maybe this person is just completely out of control. Maybe they're doing something that's obviously wicked. And then the demon is cast out, and now they're sane. Now they're calm. Now they're rational. Now they start to move toward that which is good again. Okay, that's, that's what, that's, so let's just stop for a moment. You don't know what the theology of that is. Let me just ask you, as a human being, if you witness that, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Hmm. Let's just ask you that. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? You'd have to just say, it's good, isn't it? O only if you refuse to deal with reality at some fundamentally rational level, you have to like go to a dark place in your mind, and you have to have such a hard place in your heart that you refuse to deal with the truth that is right before you. The thing that is like obvious, it's obvious. This thing that they're seeing is not, well, let's just debate this now. You know, that's just, uh, this, the, it's not. There's nothing, there's no, there's no debating about it. It's, it's, it's obviously true and good. But then they're saying, oh no, but the person who did this, well, he's of the devil. It's the only way he could do it. When you're getting to this place, this is not just a blasphemy against Jesus. According to According to Jesus, there's a, this, you're going into a special sin category here. And he calls this, he has a name for this, which is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now let me just explain one more thing and then I want to, let's go into application. Um, if you're not familiar with, uh, with, with, with fundamental Christian doctrine, you know, God is three in one, three persons, one God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father is, you know, he, 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 he's the Father, okay? He's like the one that we call God, right? But God sends God. Hmm. And, um, you know, the, the old theologians that I've read, and we're talking some of the ancient, we're talking like first few hundred years, and they're not as famous. They tend to have a, a way of saying that the, the son was like the father's right hand. And the, the Holy Spirit was almost like the father's left hand. It was like God was sent God into the world 
to redeem people back to himself. And the son would redeem human nature and make us sons and daughters and pay for our sin. He'd, be the, he'd become the Lamb of God by becoming human. And as you've, if you've heard this, this is, this is what we call the gospel, that Jesus, the Son, lived the life we should have lived and died the death we deserve to die so that he could restore us to being fully human in the image of God. Right? That's what, that, was his, that was his role. What is the Holy Spirit's role? Hmm. The Holy Spirit's role is to reign over all of creation and bring out all that is of God and draw you to Jesus. <laughs> That's the Holy Spirit's role. The Holy Spirit's role is all of the goodness of God is being given to you. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is working on you all the time? The Holy Spirit's around all the time. It's just his actions and his works are more evident in some ways and in some places than others. Like Certainly it should be through a healthy church, for instance. But the Holy Spirit is, the goodness of God is coming out through the works of the Holy Spirit, specifically to draw you to God and ultimately to Jesus. Now, if you begin to do, so how does Jesus do these things? Jesus does not do, like, cast out demons. So we tend to go, well, he does because he's God. Well, that's one simple answer. But that isn't actually the, the, the only answer that the Bible gives. The way he does it, he does it by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he does it. All works of God go forth through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that is like when the church, when you and I go and do obedience, the, the Holy Spirit is at work there, doing good, good out into the world to draw and soften and help blind eyes see, deaf ears hear. Hearts, which may be you know, hard, or necks which are stiff, you know, prideful, to become softened, that we become humble. I'm just, just give you a few things here. Like, um, if someone comes into the church, they do not believe in Jesus, right? Maybe they grew up and in a very legalistic background, and they have, like, a hard feeling against the church. But they come into the church, they hear the gospel, and they walk out less hard, <laughs> softer. They haven't come to faith in Christ, but they come out softer. And instead of going, like, just stupid, what the heck is this? That spirit, they come out going, you know, that was stupid. <laughs> I could see why some people would believe this. I'm actually kind of attracted, I have to say, <laughs> but it's not for me. Okay, you know what's happened? The Holy Spirit's moved on them. That's what's happened. You, know, you can bring your friends to church, and they walk out not believing in Jesus, but don't think, if something like that happens, you know what's happened? The Holy Spirit has done something to them. Now, why am I saying that? When a person gets to a place and something that is just, should be just utterly, so, you, you know, people tend to think that there's religious claims and then somehow it's like some abstract idea, theology versus theology, and somehow, is this right or wrong? Okay, is this right? It's not like that. You know how we deal with the truth of Christ? To the whole person. The whole person experiences the goodness of God when we encounter Jesus and all that he is about. And when he goes out into the world and does things in the world, the Holy Spirit goes out and it's constantly helping you. Would, you. would you know and meet this person, Jesus? You know why? Without the Holy Spirit, there's no way you can ever come to God. 
The Holy Spirit's always doing these things to help you see, help you hear, help you understand. Because the human heart is hard. The human condition is blind. So, you know, when someone comes into church, we're all kind of coming in blind, <laughs> kind of halfway blind. We can kind of see. And, and our hearts may be soft, but they become hard. But people who don't have God, they, they're more like rocks <laughs> and truly human. But the Holy Spirit makes them soft. <laughs> but what happens when the very work of the Holy Spirit, you blaspheme that work? <laughs> It's not of God. It's of the devil. It's of evil. It's of evil. You're getting into a place where you're willfully blinding yourself. You hear what I'm saying? You are saying, I choose blindness. I, I, I throw away rationality. I throw away all that makes me sensibly human and I can know this is good. Instead, I, I'm throwing this away because I insist I cannot go to this conclusion. Jesus must be something good and something like what he says he is. I can't go to the conclusion. So I must impute, I must say there's evil there when clearly there isn't. And when you start to do that, you're getting to that place, there's a hardness of heart so bad that the, when the Holy Spirit works on you, you, it's like you can't even accept that it is of God. So you're getting into a place where Good and evil are not clear. You're looking at good and it's like evil to you. You're looking at evil and it's good to you. Hearing what I'm saying? You're looking at evil. So these guys are like, if you met them, they wouldn't be like Nazis. <laughs> these guys aren't, you know, trying to, you know, like lynch black people just because they're black, because like that's how we tend to think of like who are the most evil people. They're not serial murderers. They're righteous, good, decent people. They're the intellectuals. They're the finest, smartest people in the society. But if when they come to a, a serious and important claim about what is true versus false, what is good versus evil, they're poisoning their minds. They're poisoning their minds and saying no, can't go to that conclusion. Can't go to that conclusion. This is where you're starting to move into a pathway. I think when you start doing that, the Holy Spirit will work on you, but can't reach you. And maybe there's a point at which the Holy Spirit just doesn't bother to work on you anymore. And when this Holy Spirit does not bother to work on you, now you're done. That person's the walking dead. Have a very, very terrifying place. That is a possibility in life. Incredibly terrifying. <sighs> um, I was supposed to start with the story, but I forgot to start. With, so let me tell you the story, and then we'll go to part two. Years ago, um, when I was a very young pastor, actually I hadn't even been ordained yet, a young man came to church. There was, a, there was a woman in the church. She was dating this guy. She was a Christian. He was not. Came to church, he liked what was being taught, started coming more regularly. And then he pulled me aside and he said, you know, I wasn't a ordained pastor, but he called me pastor. He's like, pastor, you know that, I know there's a place in the Bible that talks about the unforgivable sin. He goes, how do you know you haven't committed it? I looked at him, I said, you haven't committed it. But I've done something really, really. <laughs> That's how you put it. I've done some really 
really bad stuff. Later on, he told me some of those bad stuff. They, they were bad. And he thought, there's no way. I can't be forgiven. One of the things I want to say to you is, if you ever come to a place and you want forgiveness, and you're coming to God, you're coming for Jesus, you have not committed this sin. You could not possibly have committed this sin. You're still... Because the only way you get to this place is you're really starting to become demonic, quite frankly. You're still human. There's still enough of the image of God in you, convicting you. There's something so deep and messed up about you. You need forgiveness. You need redemption. And you still have hope. It's possible. But the people who don't want this, they just show up and like redemption is being offered. Goodness the glory and grace and goodness of God is being experienced and always being rejected and, and, and going even worse, attributed to evil, they're in really big trouble. They're in big trouble. I'm not saying that they're lost yet. I think it's not, it's not like a step. They're going down a pathway. They're choosing. Not just a rejection of Jesus, but a rejection of the Holy Spirit as Holy Spirit. Let's go to part two. A present day past to irredeemability. So that's a pretty serious teaching I just gave you. Really, really te serious teaching. I've been wrestling for weeks now knowing that I'm going to preach this message to offer you some application. <laughs> offer you some application. What I'm going to do, what I want to do is give you three pathways that I see today <laughs> that's going in this direction. Okay? I see three camps of people today that I think are kind of going in this direction. And it's very scary. And, um, and then I want to offer you some piece of, you know, like application as Christians. What can we do in this context? All right. So the first one, um, the first one I'll have to say is this, and this is, a, this is, this is not going to be popular, and it's hard. It's not, it's hard um, to hear in our day and time, but I'm going to say it because let's get real here, all right? There is, a, there is a set of people today that worship sexuality and think that you can utterly define your own sexuality based upon yourself. And they especially hate Jesus. They especially hate the church and Christianity. And uh, you guys know what I'm talking about. It's not just um, about homosexuality. Today, it's also moving into the transgender um, agenda. You know, like if I, like I, I told you guys a story many, um, a couple years ago. I was on a plane, and um, a young woman, like I told you, they tend to be intellectual. She, she was just graduating from Yale. And when she found that I was a pastor, she came right after me. And I was like, whoa, I wanted to go to sleep, but here we go, <laughs> right? And... She, in the middle, in, in like about 10 minutes of the conversation, she looked straight at me. That was her very first question. She was like, how, how can you believe that homosexuality is sin? That was right away. You're a pastor. Oh, you believe in the Bible? Yes. Oh, well, can we talk? Can I ask you a question? Sure. Bang. <laughs> I was like, whoa. <laughs> I want to take a nap. <laughs> it was like, wow. Okay. It was like three hours of really intense conversation. <laughs> And she said to me, do you believe that there are, there are only two genders? She looked at me. And I said, yes. She, she was shocked. <laughs> she was shocked. 
And she goes, does it say that in the Bible? And I said, yes. She goes, where? I looked straight at her and said, Genesis chapter 1. <laughs> You're not even out of the first chapter. It's right there. <laughs> and she was like, oh. And um, um, people who believe in this agenda, they're going to a dark place. They're going to a dark place. Why do I say that? Um, I don't think it's hard for you to pick up that when a man, man and women are different, and that when a man loves a woman and a woman loves him back, and that they have this beautiful thing called love, and this beautiful thing called commitment, marriage, and then this beautiful thing that they have sex, and then beautiful things happen after that, like babies. <laughs> There's something really, really good, good, good. Huh? That that's that that's God's goodness. But there's a set of ideology out there that's saying that people who believe that are somehow hateful, are wicked. And when I hear that, I'm like, that is attributing to something that's obviously good, that which is wicked. By the way, I want to say something else. It isn't just, um, you know, people, we think like we're like somehow like being singled out for hating gay people or something. Christians have, have a full orb sexual ethic, which goes to the core of our theology. I mean, I've taught you about this before. It's about how two persons can become united to become deeply one into union. It's actually deeply theological before it's physical. And yet, for people to attack that, that is not attacking some ancillary portion of the gospel. It's, it's getting core. But I'm, I'm, I just want to lay it at this level. Um, you don't have to be human to see a really beautiful family. Because it's not just about gay sex. We're talking about sex outside of marriage. Lots of heterosexual people are committing sin. And Christianity is just as against that. It's not like we're singling out gay people or something like this. Because there's a deep understanding of what it means that two people are united towards self-giving, self-sacrifice, and deep union. And when that happens and this beautiful thing comes out of it, who cannot see that it's good? Even secular people who think that you should be able to have sex outside of marriage, they understand the difference. I mean, um, sorry for using this language. I was listening to, um, I forget his name, I think it's Dan Savage. Dan Savage is um, gay, and he's an atheist, and he's very, very critical of, of, of Christians, and he has, a, he has a sex podcast, right? And I think he has a sex column. But he even has this terminology, he calls them the, the gay sluts. In other words, there's people who treat sex in a good way, among gay people, and then there's people who abuse and exploit other people. Huh? And so obviously he doesn't think that there's anything wrong with gay sex itself, but even within sex. So that's, when I listen to that, I'm like, well, that's not a whole lot different than what we believe, except that we believe the line is marriage. Now, I'm not going to get too much into this. Now, here's where I see that it's especially a hatred against Jesus. It's not just a Hatred for a different sexual ethic. You know why? Because in our society, they never single out Muslims for it. <laughs> Muslims don't believe that you can have, they don't believe you can have sex out of marriage. They don't believe that, that, that homosexuality is, is good. So why is, but nobody goes around, in our society, nobody goes around saying, well, Allah is evil. 
Did they say that? You ever heard anyone say that? You never hear that. <laughs> never hear that. It's always Jesus. Jesus, the followers of Jesus, they're hateful. They're evil. They're something like the devil. And I think, even apart from the sexuality issues, this is the deeper wickedness. You hearing what I'm saying? This is the much more dangerous thing. It's very dangerous. It's dangerous for them. They may hate us as we're Christians, but the next time you hear somebody say that, say a prayer for them. They are in danger. They're in serious danger. They're singling out Jesus. Refusing to see what is obviously good and attributing wickedness to him and his people and his ways. Let's go to the second one. Second one is the attribution of only evil to the church. This is a common one today. The attribution of only evil to the church. Has the church in history done bad things? Of course. Why? Because we're human. Church is filled with human beings. But when the church is brought up, it's kind of like it's only a vehicle for evil. It's only a vehicle for evil. Have you been around church people? Have you seen what churches do in society? Is that true? It is patently false. It's not even a little bit false. It is an unbelievable blasphemous slander. It's like the 95% truth is thrown out the window. The 5% truth is like made the whole thing. It's false. And I would say it's, it's more than just, you know, people feeling bad about church. Um, there's, there's an incredible slander against, here we go again, against Jesus. <laughs> Mosques have done, you know, Muslims have done bad things. Buddhists have done bad things. Every religious, you know, like ideology has gone around and done something bad. <laughs> democracy has done bad things. We, you know, anyone want to stop believing in democracy? And yet, somehow, the church is singularly, specially evil. I think there's something very, very wicked going on there. It's not rational. It's not, it's like, take the obvious thing. What do most churches do? Well, you know, people are hurting. They come and they get prayed for. There's love and there's community where people are lonely. Churches go out and help the poor. Okay, you don't believe in Jesus. The normal human being will go, well, that's good. Because it is. It's good. People need hope. They go to church to find it. It's good. I'll even say this. I'll, this is daring to say, but I'll even say this. Other religions offer something like this. We can recognize that there's good things in other religions. And if you're a Christian, you can't even recognize the good things that the other religions are offering. I think you're being something like, you're like you're, somehow you're like trying to tamper down what is deeply human. No. No. But a singular pointing out that somehow the church is wicked. There's something really dark there. And let me point out, okay, so in the first one, I said that Jesus is singularly pointed out. Well, here we go again. This is the way it's often said. Um, I don't like institutional religion. I think institutional religion is evil. It's bad. Okay, you know, whenever I hear that, I just think, that is such hypocrisy. That is such unbelievable, spectacular. It's again, it's a blinding, blinding, blinding thing. So let me ask you, do you like institutional football? 
I do. It's called NFL. <laughs> I like institutional baseball. I like institutional basketball. <laughs> I like institutional police. Do you want, want non-institutional police? <laughs> do you like, I like institutional criminal justice system. I like institutional food. We call it restaurants. <laughs> I like institutional food delivery. We call it supermarkets, Costco. I like institutional car, ma uh, car, uh, car making. I like institutional car fixing. In other words, anything that matters in life is we need institutions. Institutions are just people getting together in an organized way to accomplish something together. That's it. That's all an institution is. But somehow institutional religion, and of course they mean the church. Because <laughs> they don't go around saying institutional religion, the mosque. No. What they're talking about is Jesus. It's a slander against Jesus. It's a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It's dangerous. It's common. It's common. Hmm. When you hear somebody say that, let me say it again. Pray for them. They're in danger. The third one. The third one is really a subset of the second one. Okay, I mean, people who say they're Christians... They went to church. Somehow they got hurt in the church. Have people been hurt in the church? Absolutely. And as soon as they tell me that they're hurt in the church, I have nothing but compassion for them. Hmm. Nothing but compassion for them. But now they have a choice. Or you can go find God. Who's going to teach you God's word? Who are you going to t who's going to take you to Jesus? You know what the Bible says the church is? It is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. So, if you spew slander against the temple of the Holy Spirit, it's a blasphemy against all that the Holy Spirit is trying to do. So when some people who have been hurt by the ch church, compassion for them. But now they have a choice. Which choice do they choose? No. Church is bad. Church is evil. They're in trouble. They're in trouble. Um, I've said it multiple times. Let me just repeat it. What shall we do? Oh, we need to pray. Oh, Pastor, you go, we were all. No. You meet a person like that, pray right down the spot for this person. Why don't you ask them, can I pray for you? You know what you're doing? Letting the power of the Holy Spirit come over them. And if you pray for them, and then they just go, okay, whatever. It's a bad sign. It's indeed a very, very bad sign. But if they go, you know, nobody's ever done that for me before. Thank you. They're, they're loved. They're loved by you. They're loved by the Holy Spirit. They're being loved by Jesus. So that's one, pray. Two, let's do good. <laughs> good motivated by the gospel. Acts of grace, mercy, loving neighbors, humility, sacrifice, radical generosity. We need to be Christians. <laughs> Not just in our religion, but in our everyday humanity. Let's do good to those people who hate Jesus, who attribute evil to Jesus. 
And let's have hope and hope in them that they're not gone. <laughs> okay? That they're not gone. That they're not utterly lost. But that there's still something there that the Holy Spirit can reach. Hmm. As we do good to them, and as we pray, and pray for them right there on the spot, maybe the Holy Spirit, their hardness will start to break down. Hmm. Their deafness will start to open up. And they'll first see where they've never seen. Let me close my message. Turning to the Redeemer through repentance. How did you find Jesus? How did you find God? Somewhere along the line, you get in a church, some preacher told you, you're bad. <laughs> you're messed up. Something in you, even the thing that you think is good, is bad. And you're like, oh my goodness. I think that's true. I think that's true. Woe is me. Where can I get help? Huh? Where can I get help? And you've been told, this Jesus is the person who will help you. Something about the cross, something about his blood, and he can forgive you. That place is where we always need to be. That's where we always need to be. You know how we come to Jesus? Beset by demons beset with our own lostness, turning to idols, money and power and pride and our own righteousness. And somewhere along the life, somewhere in there, you have to have a real confrontation with who you deeply, how messed up you are. And you need a redeemer. And you turn to him. You know what's happening? You're saying, I need a redeemer. You know what's happening? The Holy Spirit's working on you. Oh, I really am so broken and so messed up. The Holy Spirit's working on you. Jesus, maybe he can be the one to give me the help I need. Oh, the Holy Spirit's working on you. Let me close with a story. Um, if you've been in our church for a while, you've heard me say this name. Um, we named our youngest daughter after a really holy woman. Her name is Beth Kidd. On this recent trip to the East Coast, we visited one of the holiest people on this planet, <laughs> Beth Kidd, right? I don't know, we were sitting, I don't know why I didn't get this idea. So for those of you, who is Beth Kidd? All right, so if you don't know who Beth Kidd, Beth Kidd, she is, she's in her late 60s now. Beth Kidd started a ministry called Place of Promise. And Place of Promise's mission is to reach multiply injured persons with the gospel. What does multiply injured mean? That means they were abused. <laughs> that means they did drugs. Then they went to prison where they were abused some more. And then they came out with AIDS. Multiply injured. These are the people she takes in. Pours the gospel. Love. She prays for them. She loves them and tells them, there is somebody who could forgive you. There's someone who could wash your sins. He will love you forever, and you'll be made whole. That's what she does. And then they lie, lie, lie to her. They use her, and then they run off, and they do drugs some more. Oh, Beth, that's just what happens again and again. And she forgives them again because Jesus forgives them again, gives them the gospel again. Maybe the third go-around, 
then they light up and change. So I wanted to take my youngest daughter. We named this woman. We named, we named our youngest daughter after this woman. I really think. So if you want to describe, who is a Beth kid? Beth kid is like Mother Teresa, but better. That's my opinion, OK? So we went, to, we went to go. It was last minute. We said, let's go visit Beth. So we looked up her phone number. That apparently was just, we got an answering machine. She wasn't calling us back. So Grace started you know, looking for her. I don't know how she did this. She stumbled onto something on Facebook. And this guy said, I met Beth. He used to be a former drug, drug, you know, drug, drug addict. She's Mother Teresa. He literally said what I just said. She's Mother Teresa, but better. <laughs> and then had her phone number on his Facebook. So then Grace called that number, and Beth picked up. Awesome. So we go to this town called Lowell. Lowell is it's not a nice town. This neighborhood has a lot of uh, heroin addiction going on in that neighborhood. So it's not a pretty neighborhood. And she has um, four houses. This is a ministry that's grown over the years. She calls it men's house part, uh, you know, level one, men's house level two, and then women's house level one, and they're all like on the same street. So we went to... We went there, we met Beth, hugged her, introduced her to Elizabeth. Elizabeth started like playing this thing she's working on on praise, and Beth loved it. Here's the part that was so cool. At four, it was like we were in there, we got there about 2.30, and about four o'clock, Beth had to teach a Bible, Bible lesson. And all the people from all four houses gathered together for her Bible lesson. And she told us, I'm going to teach on control, because we're always trying to control our life. What we have to learn is to let it go to God. So that was her lesson. But she sat down. She said, we have some special. We said, well, do you want to go? Is it OK for us? We joined. She said, yeah. So, so here are these. Uh, it was a pretty multi-ethnic room. Uh, we're the only Asians, though. I think everybody, there's like, there's black, Hispanic. The guy I sat next to was from Brazil. There's young and old. There was a guy who's like 20s. There was like a guy in his 70s and like, you know, in between. So the room has like about maybe 20-something people plus us five. And so Beth had us introduce ourselves. We all introduced her. said, well, you know, Grace, so the reason we know uh, Beth is because Grace served in her ministry in the second year she launched Place of Promise. It was in another neighborhood back then. So when Grace was in college, so Beth still remembers Grace from college. <laughs> and she was delighted. She introduced, we introduced ourselves. And then she said, okay, does anybody here want to just say, um, introduce themselves? And this is what happened. People in the room just started popcorn. They were utterly no shyness. My name is, you know, John, whatever. You know, I don't know if that's his name. And a guy who was like 64 years old would say, would say, yeah, before I came here, I was on the streets. I was filled with anger. It was all about me. It was all about me. I've been here for 14 months. It took some time. But now I know. I found love. It's in Jesus. That's what he'll say. He would stop. And then the next person went, My name is, you know, my name is Mike. Like a 20 year old guy. Before I came here, I was living in the woods. <laughs> I was filled with anger and despair. I've been here for like eight months. One person after another. They all just said, said stuff like a woman's got a woman. She was, she'd been there. She, she, you can tell she cycled through multiple times because I've cycled through multiple times. This is the only place I found life. I was sitting there thinking, 
place of promise. This should be church. This should be what church is like. Brothers and sisters, we're all like this. We're all like this. Our drug of choice is money, pride, good looks. They chose heroin and crystal meth. It's like the fast path to death. We choose the slower path. But when God, the Holy Spirit, brings the goodness of God into your life and you meet Jesus, you say, I desperately need you. Let's pray. Place of promise is just a place before you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for sending us the Holy Spirit, Father, to take us to Jesus. Protect us from wickedness. That we would refuse, we would refuse, we would willfully blind ourselves and make our hearts hard. There are many people in our city, among our neighbors, they're going down this pathway. Give us compassion for them. Give us, give us fear for them. Not fear of them, but fear for them, for their sakes. And let us redouble our efforts to pray for them and love them. And may we be like those former heroin and crystal meth addicts. Not look down on them. They are our brothers and sisters. Thank you for people like Beth. Thank you for every sound church that is the church. May we go into this time and this place filled with people. This is a time filled with the devil. Profound and dark, angry lies. Lord, give us a huge sense of your spirit. May we be in awe that you would forgive us Wash us, love us. May we offer that to our neighbors. And we pray, we pray, we pray, we pray they would not be too far gone, that they could be redeemed. And many of them will be redeemed <laughs> right here in our church. The revived church will be a place of promise <laughs> where you are known, you're exalted. You're embraced. We let you love us. In Jesus' name.